Good morning, Joy Church. How you guys doing today? All right. I think we're in the dark here. Oh, there we go. Good to see. I could see you better, but I don't know if you could see me. I know you want to see this, this mug up here, you know. Man, so good to be with you guys today. How many of you got that first dose of sunshine yesterday? I, I was with some, yeah, I was with some, uh, we had Penelope's birthday party yesterday, and uh, we were partying outside, and and uh, some, of the, some of the people were complaining about the sun, and I'm like, nope, nope, I'm not complaining because we just went through like three months of gloom, you know? I mean, I'm a white dude, but I was like starting to get transparent, you know what I mean? People are like, I can see straight through you. That's not good. I needed some, uh, some, uh, some sunshine. So uh, we're grateful for that. If Penny was here, she'd have given me that second strike, you know, that first strike on the joke. Man, I'm, I'm passionate, excited about this new series we're going to jump into here called Worthy. We're talking about worship and just the value of worship in our lives as followers of Jesus. I'm going to talk about uh, worship uh, today and just kind of the, the heart of worship. Um, but man, I, I just, I remember being a, a, a young, uh, young man, uh, younger man than I am now. And uh, as a teenager, just laying on my floor in my room, I had my old, uh, my dad's old stereo system when stereos used to be, the, the, the quality of your stereo system was c- correlated to the size of your stereo system. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? Now everybody's like, look, I can get all this sound out of this little microscopic speaker that's embedded in my brain. Uh, but, you know, in the past, right, uh, it used to be like the real giant speakers. And so I had these wooden speakers sitting on my floor in my room and I'd lay down on the floor and I'd listen to Delirious and Find Me in the River and, you know, good, good stuff, old school stuff. How many Delirious fans in here, you know? Listen to some uh, old school Ron Canoli, Hosanna, some Integrity, you know, some of that, that stuff. All the overstayed people say amen, hallelujah. And uh, just really just soak in the presence of God. In those moments, God was forming in me and digging a deep well of worship. Uh, worship is a response to the reality of God. We talk about worship as a core value at Joy Church, is aligning our lives to the reality of God. Um, when you get a glimpse of how incredible he is, it sort of creates this deep calls to deep. You know, to borrow that biblical phrase, it like deepens you. You, you, you realize, man, I'm so, I'm so far away as far as my worth and value from God, and yet he's not rejecting me. He wants to pull me closer, and it just does something incredible in, in, our, in your life, in your heart. Worship is our response to who God is, what God has done. And uh, worship goes far beyond what we do on Sunday mornings and just singing. Worship goes far beyond uh, what we do even in our private time of devotion. Worship is an entire life that we live for God. Uh, We're going to talk about that. But in the series, we are going to take a a little bit of a a practical approach to how we as followers of Jesus, specifically in our congregational uh, times, like on Sunday mornings when we come together, the value of our times of worship. Um, those of you that maybe don't care or don't know, I mean, it could be one or both, but we, we, we didn't, our church didn't just sort of pop out of thin air, right? Like we actually have a heritage and a legacy. And if you go back 50, 60, even longer, we actually come out of a, a line of churches out of what's called the latter rain movement, where God was awakening his Holy Spirit and opening up spiritual gifts and restoring to his church what he did originally in the, the New Testament. And, uh, and we come out of this, this deep, well of worship and the prophetic and the presence of God. And so for us as a church, we, we don't want to become so programmatic and so strategic and so even just, just focused on just teach, teaching the Bible. We're going to teach the Bible, absolutely. That's our primary thing. We also want to be what Jesus said is worshipers in spirit and in truth. They're not, they're not antagonistic to one another. They're, it's a both and, not an either or, right? But we come out of this 
this heritage of worship. And uh, my, my dad, Pastor Steve, who some of you know, some of you don't, we were on a, a Joy Church's call a couple weeks ago, and he was kind of as the father of our, of our movement. There's about four Joy Churches now with a bunch that are getting ready to get planted. Amen. Excited about that. Uh, uh, excited to see God use Joy Churches to plant churches. But he was, he was coaching us pastors. He said, hey, man, you guys are all doing great. We're winning people to Jesus, baptizing people, making disciples. Let's not lose the, the, the root system of our heritage of this prophetic, spirit-driven worship and I really just resonated with that. I'd already been kind of feeling that, and Bethany and I had been talking about it, that we wanted to make sure that as a church, that we don't lose uh, our heart of worship, and that we actually understand how to engage God as a congregation, because there's something beautiful that God does in times of worship. How many of you are familiar with the hydrological cycle? Uh, you're like, I didn't think I was going to be tested scientifically. Is anybody here familiar with the hydrological cycle? Not one person in the whole, this man, thank you, sir. I can't see who it is, but praise God for you, brother. <laughs> Here's what it is. Basically, the sunshine shines on the ocean, the water evaporates up into the clouds, it goes over the land and it rains back down, flows in rivers and streams, flows back into the ocean and repeats. How many of you are grateful for rain? Yeah. Right? Eugenians are like, I don't know, how about sunshine? But let me tell you, if you live in Nevada right now and you're looking at Lake Mead and they're finding all the bodies, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> sorry, all right, but that's true. They found Jimmy Hoffa. No, I'm kidding. They didn't find him. But um, we're grateful for the rain. The Bible actually says it rains on the just and the unjust, and, and we're like, yeah, see, good and bad things happen. But that rain, in, in a biblical sense, was always a good thing. There was an old Jewish proverb that said, the farmers pray for rain, the travelers pray against it, right? When you're traveling or camping, you don't want rain, but the farmer wants it to, to feed his crops. Okay, so the hydrological cycle is this, the, the fact that it rains, you know, goes into rivers and streams, water evaporates. And I believe worship, you can actually look at it in this way, that when we lift up our worship to God, specifically in these times together, today we were singing, oh, praise the name, the Lord Most High, and we're singing holy, 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 and we're, we're opening up our hearts, we're, we're engaging with God in this sort of mystical moment. Um, you go, man, we don't, we don't see God. We're not, I wonder if, you know, we're not worshiping the screen or the band. Like, who are we worshiping? Who are we singing to? We're worshiping to a God who is unseen. He's a spirit, but he's here. He's present in our midst. And as we lift up our praise, as we lift up our worship, the presence of God comes down like rain. Now, as I look at our nation and as I look at even just, let's go a little narrower, at our community, I don't have hope that we're, that we're just as a society going to figure it out. I, I don't look at our political teams, you know, left and right and think, man, we've got the best, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, this is not an attack against one side or the other. I mean, I don't have a lot of hope on either side, you know. It's like people care more about being in power than they do about solutions, right? And we're divided and people are mad about all these value propositions and issues, moral issues and culture. And, and the issue is not really the issue. You know, the problem is that when you don't share a, a moral consensus, you don't share values as a society, it ends up fracturing and, you know, we get it. We see that. So I look at our, our city. I don't see all this hope. That, you know, we, if we all just come together, people always like to say stuff like that. We'll just come together and then we'll fight. You ever been in a family reunion? So like the answer coming together does not automatically make solutions happen. The answer isn't we'll get my team in the political office and things will, will change. Man, I, I, I'm not that old, contrary to popular belief, but I've seen quite a few elections and I've seen Republicans in power, Democrats in power. And, you know, most of the stuff kind of stays the same. You know, people still 
have broken hearts and lives and things go wrong and all, you know, maybe somebody has better ideas in one area and the other and, you know, we get it. So I don't really have a lot of hope for our community apart from the real hope that I do have, which is that God's presence would descend in a revival upon our land. Like, because I don't really have a lot of hope for me to figure out my issues. How many of you are with me here? Like, man, I voted for Jake a lot. And he's always in power, you know? I'm an expert in my own opinions. Like, and I, I tend to create, I, I tend to get myself into trouble. And what I find in my life that is redemptive and good is the presence of God, the, the, the power of God, the work of Christ. I was reading Ephesians chapter one yesterday in my devotions. It wasn't on my Bible reading plan. It was just bonus reading. You know, come on, it's okay to go back to the buffet again, right? Get another plate. It's all you can eat. And I'm I'm digging in and I'm just reading about, man, the, the work of Jesus. And I'm like, thank you, God. That, that's what we need. So when I talk about worship, and, and, um, and this is going somewhere, guys, when we worship God, he responds. We don't serve a God who is just up there. He's here. He, he's not just distant and sort of transcendent and, you know, God, big G. He, he's also eminent and present. And God is responsive. In the words of Francis Schaeffer, we serve an infinite personal God, the God who is there, the God who speaks. We talked about this a couple months ago in our series, and God responds to us in, when we pray, God responds. Sometimes he doesn't say yes, but he responds. When we worship God, he responds. God loves worship. God, God wants to give you as his delight, you know, apple of his eye, his delighted, his child whom he delights in, he wants to give you the best gift that he can. And the best gift that God can give you is himself. And so when we worship God, we're acknowledging the reality of who he is, aligning our lives to him, and he responds to that. His presence comes down. It's like this hydrological cycle. When we lift the praises up, his presence comes down. When we lift the praises up as a congregation together, coming in, you know, some of us had a good week this week. Some of us had a bad week. Some of us are, are happy about the sunshine. Some of us are cursing it, whatever, you know, like... Regardless of that, when we come together and we, we lift up our praises and lift up our worship, the presence of God comes down and he fills your heart. He fills the atmosphere. He shows up in miraculous ways. There's supernatural encounters with God that come from worship. He refuels us, refreshes us, renews us. He gets our heart and mind focused again on what matters on him. And this time of worship that we have together is a precious holy time that we ought not to take lightly. And so as we go through this series, we're going to say, okay, what, does, what, what is the value of worship? Why, as Christians, do we really believe this is such a value? Why for us at Joy Church is it such a core value? And then we're going to look practically next week at how we actually worship. You know, in the Bible, uh, it's awesome. There are actually nine forms of worship that we see in the book of Psalms that are nine actual practical expressions of worship. And so if somebody says, well, I don't know how to worship, okay, well, we do a lot of it together on Sundays, kind of, you probably don't think about it, but... A couple of them that we do are singing. That's one of them, okay? So how many of you know we sing on Sundays? And we don't just sing because we have awesome singers and a great band. Like, no, we're actually, there's something biblical and theological about singing. Shouting is another one. Speaking is another one. Dancing is another one. Did you know that? <laughs> don't be ashamed of your moves when you see mine. I mean, I know it's, it's a little hard to see the glory, but you know. When I was, a, I was a worship leader for many years, uh, I'm still a worship leader. I didn't stop being one. I just don't play very often, but I'll, I'll do some in the series. But I used to lead worship in, in Medford at Joy Church Medford, and for years and years and years, and 
one of the things that I would do is I would dance, you know, as we were worshiping God. And man, we had a rocking band. Like my sister Natalie will just shred your face off on the electric guitar. So I mean, right, Kayla, is this not true? You know, like she will just like melt. People's faces were like, you know, that Indiana Jones scene when he opens the Ark of the Covenant? That's what would happen when she plays the guitar. How many have heard Natalie play the guitar? Okay. So we'd be rocking out and playing. And man, we were singing songs about changing the world and worshiping God, all this kind of stuff. And sometimes I would just be like, yeah, and I would start dancing. And I would do this spin thing, you know, and people would get excited or whatever. And, and people would be like, well, why do you do that? I'm like, well, I'm just like, this is a form of worship. And it was weird, but it's cool because you're, you're, you're not out of control, but you're like, you're excited. There's emotion. When I go to Autzen Stadium and we just put the curb stomp on the Huskies, I just want to get up and like, oh, it makes me want to shout. You know what I mean? So like being excited and being moved and, and, and dance and like there's something powerful about the joy of the Lord. Like as Christians, why do we act like church? We have to be so somber. Like some, who died? Do you know what I mean? Oh, praise the name. Like what about church makes you grow jowls? You know, I don't understand. Like a hound dog up there. Like let's smile. Let's be excited and have the joy of the Lord because... The God we serve is not dead. He's alive. He, Jesus, it's kind of a big part of the story. New, you know, new, spoiler alert, he rose from the dead. Like, so he, he died, but he rose again. Like, we, we have joy in the house of the Lord. We sing about that today. There's joy in the house of the Lord. So dancing, singing, shouting, speaking out our praise, lifting our hands, uh, being prostrate. I have to be careful not to say prostate, you know. Somebody in our Bible college once wrote an article about, or they said something about uh, uh, worshiping God prostate or something. I don't know, it was weird. And we're like, no, that's, it's prostrate. It means to lay, you know. There's times in the presence of God where you lay flat on your face. There's a holy moment. And you're just in that holy moment. And these are forms of worship that maybe we don't always do on a Sunday, but we're going to teach and talk about them so that you're equipped with the tool belt of worship, okay? You know, when I was, I was 16 years old, and uh, most 16-year-olds are, you know, going to get their license. Uh, other than, like, this generation, why do you guys not want to drive? Do you realize driving equals freedom? Like, get your licenses. You're like, well, gas is $19 a gallon. <laughs> okay, I understand. <laughs> I was 16 years old, and, uh, you know, normally I'd be, you'd be thinking about a car. You'd be thinking about freedom and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But for me, it was just Katie. All I could think about was Katie. I wanted to be with Katie. I wanted to spend time with Katie. Katie was always on my mind. And uh, you're like, well, you married Bethany. Who's Katie? No, Katie's not a, a girl. KT stands for Cork Triton. It was a keyboard. So I called her Katie. I named all my pianos, right? I had a grand piano in Medford. Her name was Abigail. It was her name. You know, that's what her name was. I don't know. That's what it is. So Katie was Cork Triton, this keyboard. And I had this, this it was like $3,500 silver keyboard at Guitar Center. And I would, I'd be like, Mom and Dad, could you drive me to Guitar Center? I just want to spend some time with Katie, you know, and just be with her and uh, just keep her company, you know. And uh, I really wanted this keyboard. It was like the fulfillment of all my musical dreams. Like, I just thought if I have this keyboard, I'll be playing synth. It'll be so cool, whatever. Nobody actually thinks the keyboard player is cool. Uh, but we are cool, okay? Just let you know. You hear that solo, jump, da, da, da. That's the keyboard player, okay? So electric guitar players, stuff it, all right? You know what I mean? The final countdown, da -da -na -na, da -da -na -na -na. keyboard players, all right? Come on, rock on. That wasn't rock on, that was hang loose. Rock on, there we go. All right, so I wanted Katie. It was like the only thing I could think about. 
I, I actually went, I forsook buying a car in order to buy this keyboard, and I saved up all my pennies and yard sale money, whatever, and I bought this Cork Triton. To me, it was like the thing of highest worth and value, this keyboard uh, that I really wanted, and I ended up getting it and playing it and, you know, using it to write songs and whatever. It was awesome. Um, but, I, but I think about uh, the fact that for me, I had this, this mono-focus on, on this, this keyboard, and it reminds me of how we want, we want to be about God, that we realize His worth, His value. As we talk about this series called Worthy, this word worthy means full of value, full of worth. When we think about God, He is full of value, full of worth. In fact, the most worthy, the most valuable thing, and really should be the essential pursuit of life. The Shorter Westminster Catechism says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That there's something about recognizing when you have seen the glory, when you have acknowledged who God is, that He becomes the chief pursuit of your life, and everything flows out of this pursuit of God. As followers of Jesus, when we, when we don't understand worship, we're kind of missing the point of the whole thing. Because, yeah, we talk about making disciples, but why do we make disciples? To bring people to a life of worship. Why do, we make, why do we care about going to heaven? Why do we care about spending an eternity in the presence of God? If you don't love God, if you don't desire God, if you don't even know why you should or why, what, what about him is appealing, then that shouldn't be appealing to you. I remember when I was young and I'd hear stories about heaven and they'd say, well, you're just going to be worshiping God forever. And I'd be like, cool. And in the back of my mind, I'd be like, well, that sounds really boring. You know, and my kids have asked the same question. They're like, are we just going to go to church for like ever and ever and ever? You know, Penny today right before church, she had her birthday party yesterday. She got a ton of presents and she goes, I don't want to be here. I want to be at home opening my presents, you know, and I'm like, I get it, you know, playing with my presents. So when I heard this thing about worshiping God forever, I thought, are we just going to be in like a never ending church service? And I'm like, that doesn't sound good, right? And you don't, don't, don't amen me here, right? I mean, but, <laughs> but I just, I didn't sound good. And I realized, no, 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 no. Um, this is an aspect of worship, but worship is actually fully acknowledging the worth and value of God and enjoying it in a relationship. So the only things I know about heaven is we're going to fly. That's all I know. I mean, I, you know, we're going to fly. Everybody's going to be able to fly. I, that's all I know. Biblical, it's in Greek. You can check it out. Okay. But God is uh, the essential pursuit of life. Now, when we started Joy Church uh, five, six years ago, there were three core values that really came to the surface for us. Number one, we wanted to be a church of real relationship. I think a lot of churches, they say, man, we're all about community, all about relationship, and it's not really real. We, we wanted to do our best to really live out that value. I think you guys do an awesome job. I think we're doing a good job. Let's keep getting better at it. Let's be real. Let's be authentic. Let's connect. Let's not have services. Let's have family reunions. Let's not have joy groups. Let's have discipleship moments to grow in Jesus and make a difference in our neighborhoods, okay? Uh, number two is to be a church of empowering discipleship. We are about making disciples. We're about seeing a city and a community change, not by political activism, but through gospel proclamation, people's hearts transformed by the power of the gospel, and then Jesus can change our politics, but he has to change our hearts first. Come on, somebody. So we empower disciples. And then the third one, and it's not least, it's, it's absolutely imperative, is to be a church directed and sustained by the presence of God. So... You know, what's sad is that it's been noted in the modern church that there could be churches that if, there, if, the, if the Holy Spirit wasn't even a part, the church would be just fine. And that scares the H-E double hockey sticks out of me. Because if you can have a church that has a lot of people and a bunch of programs and everybody's happy on Sunday, 
and you don't even need the Holy Spirit, what the heck are we doing here? All we are is a club. And we're going to crumble to dust like every other club. You know, we're going we're gonna, to, in 150 years, somebody will buy this building and remodel it and they'll have a big five sporting goods or something. Like, we don't want to be that. Come on. If, if the Holy Spirit's not present, if the presence of God is not at the burning heart of the church, and we're not, we're not driven by the blood of Jesus, we're not driven uh, in worship, and, and all we are is basically a well-programmed, well-oiled, well-managed machine, you know, where we all give money and we get to come on Sundays and give lip service to something we don't really care about, don't really believe in, I don't want to be a part of that. I'm doing a group on Tuesday nights with some guys, and I told the guys first night, I'm like, look, you know, this is going to be a little raw, our group, you know, and it is, right? I don't know if any of the guys are here. Chuck's here. It's a little, it's a little bit raw sometimes. Chuck's mouth, he needs to work on it. It's filthy. I mean, we're working on him. Discipleship. Brooke, just, you know, turn the other ear. I know, but I'm kidding. No, but it's real. Like we're talking about as a group, we don't want to just come and do church and like, hey, how are you doing? Great. I'm doing good. Hey, praise God. And it's all fake. I hate that stuff. I grew up in church, man. I don't want to go to any more church services. Frankly, I'm sort of sick of church. You know what I don't, what I can't get enough of? The presence of God. When God shows up and he's moving here, when I see people's lives transformed, when I get to, to see some of you get baptized, when we're here and, and the Holy Spirit shows up and people are healed, when people that are coming from broken marriages and kids that have broken parents are in our kids' classes and they're, they're hearing about the love of Jesus, that gets me jacked up. So we don't want fake, we want real. And I don't want to have a social club. We want a church that is directed and sustained by the presence of God. Meaning if God isn't here, when we show up to worship him, what are we doing? When we are here together and we lift up the name of Jesus, you can feel the presence of God. And when a person gets ignited by the presence of God, when they begin to have a deep passion and an understanding of God is worthy. He is the lamb. He sits upon the throne. That when we begin to worship him and his presence comes down, and that's all that we need. We need the presence of God, not better program services, not better messages. Man, I could spend 10 more hours putting together a message and tell better jokes and get better slides, and you know what? It isn't going to move the needle. What moves the needle is the presence of God here in our midst, in our hearts, in our lives, working through us and touching this community. So when we talk about a value being directed and sustained by the presence of God, I think about Moses. He said, Lord, if your presence does not go with us, we will not go. Man, I'll tell you right now, as long as I have the opportunity to serve as pastor of Joy Church, if the presence of God does not go with us, we aren't going anywhere. We will camp. We don't like it here. We'll camp on this series. Well, I don't like it here. I don't care. <laughs> like, we want the presence of God. If he doesn't show up, we're not going to go. Because what are we going to do when we get there? What are we going to do when we go into our communities and say, well, what do you have for us? Well, we have a nice social club and we have a nice building now. We used to be in a movie theater, you know, but now we're in a nicer building. So the heck what? People don't need a nicer building. They need the presence of Jesus. People don't need me to sound smarter, you to sound smarter, answer their deep questions. They need the presence of Jesus. So we want to be directed and sustained by the presence of God. That's what worship is about. I mean, it's like, God, we just want to connect with you. We want you to come and show up in power. Holy Spirit power. Like you did in the Old Testament, like you did in the New Testament, and like you do today. Because I don't think God is done with our community. I don't think God is done with the church in America. I don't think God is done. 
I think he wants to move, but I think it takes some people saying, Lord, we're going we're gonna to open the floodgates of worship. We're going to lift our praises and our worship up and engage with your presence, and your presence is going to come down. Matthew 13, Jesus tells two stories to illustrate how we respond to the worth of God. Matthew 13, I, lo- I love these because to me this is the heart of worship. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again, and he sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. How many of you grew up wanting to discover hidden treasure? I used to read books about shipwrecks, and I just thought that would be the coolest thing in the whole world to find a shipwreck full of gold, and then just, ha, 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 then I would become a pirate. I would put one eye patch, and I would get the ship up, and I would just act like a pirate because I have billions of dollars in gold. All right, that's my fantasy. So, or to find like the lost Dutchman mine or something cool, you know, just really cool. And Jesus talking about, you find this treasure, go, go all out. He says it again. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven, to re-emphasize this point. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. Somebody say, all in. All in. This pearl of great price. This treasure in a field. Jesus is saying, this is what God's kingdom, a relationship with God, this is what God's kingdom is like that when you find it when you discover it when you get a glimpse when you start to see that pearl the response the right response is not to hedge your bet the right response is not to you know do the uh, put one foot in and take your other foot out and do the hokey pokey and turn yourself about that's not the response the response is to dive in head first all the way all in when you see Jesus when you recognize the worth of God a life of worship is to say I'm all in God Man, so, so many people are so confused. They're like, oh, the church just wants your money. No, no, no. Like, no, no. That's like so at the bottom level of what God wants from you. Bethany and I, like, I, never is it like, oh, we have to tithe. We give 10%, to, you know, 20% of our business income, that I, my side business. I'm never like, oh, man, what a sacrifice. I'm like, that's easy. Easy. Because when you see the worth of God, that's like the most basic thing. What I don't want to give God is like everything, all my deep, the places of my heart, my relationships, my agenda. God wants everything all in. Like you totally misunderstand if you think God just wants your money. Like he wants that. That's like the opening, like that's the, like get in the door. Like he wants everything. But the question is not, well, how much is he worth? He's worth everything. He's worth more than you have. He's worth more than you'd ever acquire. Financially, yeah. Relationally, yeah. Emotionally, yeah. Everything. God is worth it. That's what Jesus is talking about here. I want to give you just three quick thoughts on worship. Number one, when you find the treasure, stop the, stop the search. We live in a culture that loves to ask questions and everybody is like afraid of answers. When we get answers on things, you know, like that's the answer. Four plus four, what is it? Eight. We don't need to have like a debate about it. Well, I just, I, my, I, I identify that eight isn't, I mean, I, that makes me uncomfortable. It's just really binary I just think nine. I mean, could I admit nine? Anybody? Is that okay? Like, it's not okay. No, the answer is eight. So when you find the treasure, stop the search. When you encounter the reality of Jesus Christ, what the heck are you doing going one foot in? Go all in. Like, get, try, to, try to get to the bottom of God. Try. Try to swim down deep enough to, like, figure him out. Get to the bottom. Because I've been trying for 30 plus years, and I haven't figured out the bottom. When I think that, that I've discovered his love, he, he, he wrecks me again. When I think that I've tasted of his grace and his mercy, man, I get a fresh wave. 
When I think that, that he has no more purpose and he couldn't do anything in my life, he challenges me and comes from left field and it's like, nope, we're doing something new. Like God is unlimited. When you find the treasure, stop the search. Truth demands a response. When you catch a glimpse of God, when you begin to see who he is, don't, you can't just walk away. We sing that song by Leland, you know, it says, I can't walk away. I can't walk away for I have seen your face. I mean, I, I resonate with that. It's like when you see Jesus, when you find the treasure, stop the search and now make your life a pursuit of him. Uh, I think one of the marks of, of, a, of an affluent society that sort of dances with Christianity rather than embraces it, because just make no, make no mistakes about this, like we are in danger as a society in, in America because we have so much filthy lucre that it blinds our eyes to the glory of God. We're so rich, you're like, no, we're not rich, we're paying $5.45 for gas. Did you know the fact that you can pay the $5.45 for gas means somebody else is losing that, that bid and doesn't have it? I was reading about the people in Afghanistan that we abandoned as a nation uh, that had an earthquake and the poverty of millions of people cast into deep, dark poverty, and I'm mad because I lost some money in the stock market. Like, I, I think that you're like, what are you talking about today, Jake? Let me get back on track. As a nation... It's very easy for us to basically get totally embedded with a bunch of false gods and idols of our finances and have these very delusional standards of what it means to, to, of wealth and income and all this kind of stuff. And it blinds us to the glory of God because we're more caring about the, the dimness of our earthly treasure rather than seeing the real treasure yeah. right in front of us, the worth and the value of God. Um, when you catch a glimpse of God, you, you can't just walk away. Like... I think what I was starting to say here is in America, we're in danger as an affluent society is that we play games with our Christianity. We make conditional arrangements with God. We don't go all in. We don't really understand worship because we're very much like, well, you know, I just, this church and the way that, you know, this songs we sing and it doesn't fit my preference and, you know, I don't have any more liquid to make that sound. Feel like a desiccated husk up here, but we're very like we're very like consumeristic in how we approach God. We're very conditional in how we approach God. We get easily offended, and you go, "Well, you're preaching to, to you." No, I get easily offended. Like I, we're very preferential. I really like that person's preaching. People come to me and they'll say, "Oh, I love you know your preaching," and I'm like, "Well, thank you, but please, for the love of God, don't go to this church because you like my preaching." Because if you only come here because of how good I preach or, or whatever, or you liked what I said in that one moment, just wait, I'll offend you, I'll do something dumb, you know, maybe today's that day for you. Um, please, for the love of God, don't go here because you prefer what's on the menu of what we serve as some kind of Christian service, because that is like not how you should be a Christian or, or go to church. Go to Joy Church because the Holy Spirit brought you here and said, plant your roots in deep and look to be a contributor and serve and be the church. Don't go to church. I don't go to Joy Church. I am Joy Church. You are Joy Church because this is our assignment. This is the ground that Jesus told us to take and hold and expand the kingdom of God. This is a military post and assignment. This isn't a preferential, we're not at a restaurant looking at a menu, oh, I prefer this. No. Go somewhere else because God is worthy of somebody saying, I'm all in. I'm all in. Man, he's angry today. I'm not. I, I, I'm not. I'm actually in a good mood. I, I'm just passionate about this. Like I said last week, I'm passionate. Pissed and passionate, you know, together. I'm passionate. The reason I'm passionate is because 
It's so easy to get deceived. Like, God, my happiness is attached to my bank account. My happiness is attached to my relationships at work or school and who likes me and who doesn't like me. And we're playing, you know, he loves me, he loves me not all the time with each other. And like, God's saying, well, you found the treasure. Like, just go all in. When you find the treasure, stop the search. Number two, sell everything to get it. There's something about expressing worth. You have to go all in. I've been talking about this. I remember with Bethany, when I, um, when I asked her to be my wife, there was, there was a saying, yes. She was saying yes to me. I was saying yes to her. And we were saying no to everyone else. Like, those of you that maybe are struggling in, in marriage or whatever, I mean, this is probably a good lesson. Like, you have to say no to everybody else. Right? So... You can't be saying yes on a computer screen to somebody else and yes to your wife, dudes. Ladies, you can't be saying yes in your emotions to a coworker and yes to your husband. Like, you got to say no to everyone else. Uh-oh. So, I'm not judging. I'm just saying, like, that's how it works. There's something about a marriage works because you're exclusive. You're all in. You're saying, I was saying to Bethany, like, I'm, I'm making a commitment to you because I see the value of who you are and you're it. You're it. And she, and she, by the grace of God and some miraculous supernatural power or some secret sin in her life that God was judging her for, said yes to me. <laughs> Commitment, you know. And there's something about sacrifice. There's something about selling everything. It has to cost you something. I, I remember the story about King David when he was going to give an offering to the Lord and he was at this threshing floor where the temple would eventually be built. And the guy was saying, well, I'll give you this land and I'll give you these, these oxen and this, this wood to, to do the altar. And David said, no, 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 I'm going to buy it because I will not offer to the Lord something that costs me nothing. A lot of times as Christians, we're so excited to bring God leftovers, not the main course of our life. It's like we allow God to, we, we, we allow him to have that hour on Sunday mornings, but we can't wait to get out. We allow God to have the 15 minutes of reading our Bible just out of duty in the mornings, but we can't wait to be done to go now pursue wealth and pursue whatever we want to pursue. We, we just, it's like God, the scraps, if it's enough to get me into heaven, that's what I want to invest. And that's not the way that real kingdom Christianity looks. It looks like treasure in a field, pearl of great price, I'm all in. That's what a life of worship is. And so we sell everything to get it. I think that as a congregation, it would just really be amazing if like we were having to bar the doors because us Christians couldn't wait to get in here and get on our hands and feet, hands and faces before the Lord and say, oh God, we just love your presence and we love our brothers and sisters and we're here to connect with you and to worship you because you're worthy, because you are holy, because you are the only hope that we have. And when God begins to deepen us in this area of worship, that's going to be what happens. A, a desperate hunger. The mark of revival is not that the world changes, it's that the church does. Right. Let me say that again. The mark of revival is not all the sinners get their act together and start to vote the right way and do whatever. The mark of revival is that God's house repents and turns their heart back to God and cries out and says, Oh God, we're sinners. We need your grace. We need your presence. You're all, we, we, we can't do anything without you. And we worship you. Number three, embrace a life of worship by the pearl. Go get that pearl. Embrace it. Worship is an invitation to get the most valuable thing in existence. As I said before, the best gift God can give is God himself. Sam Storm said this, If God is to love me optimally, 
He must bestow or impart the best gift he has, the greatest prize, the most precious treasure, the most exalted and worthy thing within his power to give. That gift, of course, is himself. Nothing in the universe is as beautiful and captivating and satisfying as God. So if God loves me, he will give himself to me and then work in my soul to awaken me to his beauty and all sufficiency. In other words, he will strive by all manner and means to intensify and expand and enlarge my joy in him. God invites us to worship him. I think we can do this in a few different ways. Number one, to just chase him daily. Like, just chase him daily. Uh, every single day, we get to start afresh and anew. Every day is a gift. And I want to make sure that my heart is, is lined up. My radar is on God. Like, God, I want you today. I want to know your will. I want to know your heart for me, for the world around me, for my family, for, for the church that I serve. Lord, I want to chase you daily. Number two, chase him passionately. Like, when we, we, we have not hit the levels of passion of worship that we will in this church. I have been in church services where, and I've heard us sing sometimes, but I've been in church services where you couldn't hear this, the band because the congregation was so passionately worshiping God that, like, it doesn't really matter what Judah and the gang, you know, do. Like, they're here to lead us and help us, but we're not watching the worship leaders worship. We're, we're, we're worshiping along with them, and we're in the presence of God, and we have such a clean, clear, open heavens that we're reaching for the Lord, and His presence is just falling and moving in this place. And, man, I want to encourage you to chase Him passionately. And you go, yeah, but, like, my worship has been very, like, calm and, like, limited and whatever. I don't want you to do something just to do it. I just want as you see the worth and the value of God, respond in like kind. Respond in like kind, you know. And I'm going to teach the practical ways we worship as you lift your hands and you sing. You know, I'm not going to come out and force somebody to do something, but I want to encourage you to chase him passionately, worship him passionately. Number three, chase him wholeheartedly. No other gods. I think one of the best things we can do to get to the positive side of worship is to reduce and eliminate idolatry. We don't talk a lot about idolatry because it's an old-fashioned word, but it's a new-fashioned problem. Um, human beings, through, and you see this in the entire Bible, the entire Old Testament is about God's people, Israel, couldn't stop worshiping false gods. And our idols don't, don't, aren't statues, but they are just in every bit calling our hearts away from worship of the one true God. We worship careers, we worship money, we worship sex, we worship politics. We worship uh, pleasure. We worship sports. You know, if you can't love Jesus because your kid, who's not going to be a major league baseball player, just newsflash, like has so many baseball games, your priorities are out of order. Straight up. Like I want my kids to play sports, but I would much rather them worship the one true God. And if sports is an idol that I have to sacrifice, baby, start the barbecue. If your love of NFL football, just head, head you know, newsflash, the Raiders aren't going to win the Super Bowl. So Unless you're like a Patriots fan, like everybody else should just show up at church on Sunday. You know what I mean? Patriots fans, I get it. You're probably going to win again, you know. I'm having fun here, guys. I'm not do I love football. You guys know this. I love the Ducks. But man, the Ducks don't shine, don't light a candle compared to Jesus. So Pastor Jake, you know, what's it, what, if you had to put it on a priority list, like it's an easy question. <laughs> Worship him wholeheartedly. No other gods. No other idols. 
one of the things that we can do today is just say, Jesus, reveal to me the things that are pulling my affection, attention, allegiance, and my worship away from you. If worth, if worthy, if worship means to be full of worth, full of value, what have you ascribed worth to in your life that causes you to stop looking at God and stop looking at him as the sole pursuit of your life and instead chase something else? There is power in singular pursuit, in a focused pursuit, wholehearted pursuit of God. And that's what worship is. As we close today, Revelation 4 says this, you are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. You are worthy, O God. Lord Jesus, we lift up our hands in this place. Thank you for your word. I thank you for your presence. Lord, we've been enjoying the feast at your table today of your presence and your glory and your, your worth and your value. God, I pray that you would awaken us to a fresh passion of worship. Oh God, that you would awaken us to a fresh hunger for your presence. Lord, thank you for the severe mercy, even as we go through tough times. And I know people are suffering, but Lord, you might be just doing something merciful to our nation to get us to stop worshiping filthy money and stop worshiping false gods of power and politics and stop worshiping false gods of sex and pleasure and stop worshiping a life of convenience and to actually get our eyes upon the real answer for this world, which is you. Oh God, open our eyes and our hearts to worship you. And Lord, I pray that every person here today would experience a fresh revelation of who you are. Oh, your grace, God. Oh, your mercy, Lord. You have saved us. You've redeemed us and called us out of darkness. We have nothing but you. We say like the psalmist, whom have I in heaven but you? Whom have I but you? God, you are enough. You are that pearl of great price. We want to be a church that is directed and sustained by your presence. If you don't go with us, we don't go. Lord, we're not here to program some great church and be a big church and just be excited because we have some cool club. Lord, we want to have a great time and have great impact in our community, but it, but it has to come from your presence. So God, let us be a church that worships you every day, full of passion and wholeheartedly, singularly focused on you, Jesus. You are worthy. Would you just say that with me today? You are worthy. You are worthy, Lord, to receive our praise. You are worthy to receive our worship. You are worthy. You are worthy. And we worship you today in Jesus' name. Can we just give a shout of praise today? Thank you, Lord. We praise you, Jesus. We worship you today. We glorify you, God. Amen. Amen. Hey, bow your heads and close your eyes real quick. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Jake, like I am not part of this family. Like I am not a Christian. I'm not a follower of Jesus, but I want to know Jesus. I want to be saved. I want him to forgive my sins and I want to be a child of God. Would you lift up your hand where I can see very quickly in this place? Lift up your hand. Thank you. And I'm going to pray. Anybody else, lift up your hand. We're going to pray together and we're going to give our lives to Jesus. Let's pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I've fallen short of your standard, but I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be right with you. I put my faith and trust in you and in you alone. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.